Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And we are your co-hosts. And today, I'm going to be talking about uh, sort of magic in Italy. Um, so we're going to talk about, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna cover a lot. We're going to talk a little bit about medieval witch hysteria. Um, we're going to talk about hazelnut trees a lot. Mm. Oh my god, that makes me want Nutella so bad. Not Not hazelnut trees. I'm sorry, walnut trees. Oh my god, do you just want Nutella then? I think I just want Nutella. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, we're going to talk about the 1980s uh, for a little bit. Uh, there's a lot going on. There's a lot wow. going on. Wow. Uh, quite the gamut. Well, today, since we're taking like our little trip to Italy, I'm covering a pretty Italian herb that isn't just that pitiful wilted garnish that you throw off the side of your entree in fancy restaurants. Uh, actually, it's more apt to think of this plant as a memento mori, parsley. Full stop, full stop. We're talking about parsley today. And um, y'all, parsley goes so much harder than I realized. Like, I was just talking to Nick and I was like, oh my God, did I seriously write almost five pages of notes about parsley? Uh, I had to do a lot of editing. Although, you know, you do have to love the fact that there is so much about parsley and... Um, you know it's ubiquitous it's ubiquitous yeah it's like everyone knows parsley everyone uses parsley everyone has surely at one point accidentally grabbed flat leaf parsley instead of cilantro at the grocery store don't kid or reversed yeah. i mean it's you know it is what it is it is what, it when, is they're, what it is. when they're right next to each other they look very similar so it's like it's true it's true i've definitely like gone out to get ingredients for like taco tuesday and come home with fucking parsley and been like uh well that was a mistake <laughs> although I, I though i will say it kind of in the reverse um we i i made that mistake and put cilantro in greek lemony potatoes oh and, but i bet that was awesome but it was actually like because I, I was like well i'm gonna use it yeah i mean you've already got it sometimes we'll put um cilantro in like pasta which sounds really really weird but like if you think about the profile of cilantro and it's just kind of like bitter and a little like bright uh it's really it's like I, I don't mind it. And it's like so much easier for us to get it. And I grow a shit ton of it. So we end up putting cilantro and everything. It clearly doesn't taste like soap to me. It so. it, yeah, it's, I'm not one of those people. I'm I'm actually so, so, so sorry for, for those people. Yeah, I'm very pro cilantro. Um, but yeah, so we've got like a hell of an episode ahead of us to the point where, uh, plot twist, we're not doing a deity profile because we just like, this would be a three hour episode. <laughs> yeah, and you know... God forbid you have a three-hour commute and you're, like, listening to this. Because... And if you do, I'm so sorry. Like, move or find a new job. That you can sucks. Listen, you can listen to it twice. So to those of you who do have a three-hour commute and are listening to this episode for the second time, hello again. Oh, hey again. Welcome back. We missed you guys. Uh, cool. So, Nick, when did you feel most magical this week? Oh, okay. So, absolutely. It was yesterday. Mm. and it was actually so we went to go see that movie that everyone's going to see right now that's very good everything and, everywhere all at once um that definitely made me cry like an absolute baby but no we went yeah. um so we went down by the lake though afterwards for a little walkies Aww. 
and that was actually when you know because it was like yeah. I was down by the water it felt there the was bre- a breeze there was absolutely a breeze which you know any body of water with a breeze coming off of it that's magical vibes yeah of course I love and- that and so yeah, that was when that was when. Also, I saw that crazy tree. I sent you that picture. Yeah, it was covered beautiful. In, covered in like yellow pom poms. Yeah, it was so cute. Um, so that was that was uh, cl- a close second. That tree was really cool. It looked like something out of Dr. Seuss. Yeah, it was definitely a Dr. Seuss tree. I um, this week has been, you know, kind of all over the place for me. But probably when I felt the most magical. I am, I was like reformulating some bath teas because I will be releasing like a small limited line of bath teas for purchase in the next like month. Uh, So I was going back through and like reformulating things and like really adding much more of like a magical spin to it as well as like the herbalism stuff because I was just like, this is what I like doing. So I'm just going to put that into like the products I'm making. And so it was just really fun. And it's like, it's like writing spells, you know, coming up with like the blends and I'm going to charge the salt for one of them in the sunset on Beltane. So it's like getting to like plan out, like it's like making potions, basically. It was a lot do, of fun. I, I do love that sunset on Beltane. I yeah. like that. That's such a good vibe for a, oh, bath, yeah. for a bath tea. Yeah. I- yeah. I'm I'm into it. I'm into it. Yeah. So I'll I'll like fill y'all in more, but like uh just a little so, like So when you were doing that, did you feel like Kamaji the boiler man? Oh, absolutely. But I I felt like I also so like again, little spoiler, but I'm not gonna give y'all the names. Like they all have they're all named after different Bowie songs. So oh. I was really leaning into like Bowie Occult, mm. like one of them i will give you the name of one of them is a manifestation blend and it's called moon age daydream so did i did i tell you there's a facialist up by where i live on burnett road that it's called like moon age daydream aesthetics or something oh my god i didn't know that that's amazing i i feel like i feel like i need to go there yeah yeah you have to bowie david bulgy um, <laughs> throwback. Uh, awesome. Well, I'm gonna like let you yeah, get we started because we, we got a lot we of ground to cover. We have a lot of ground to cover. Okay, so you guys want to learn about Italian folk magic and like where to even begin is so much of a question that I believe even that requires like a little bit of a good explanation. So there's a good chance that you probably think Italian folk magic is heavily derivative of the formal old Roman religion. You know, you got your Jupiter, you got your Juno, you got your Diana, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And I would have absolutely thought the same thing before I started doing the research to write this segment. But actually, this is a classic pitfall in this field of research, which is called um, survivalism, which is basically this perspective that assumes that any of the folklore beliefs that are part of the current vernacular must be evolved from or like surviving pieces of what came before. So um, there is this sort of belief in like a goddess and like a horned god energy, which is like very, very kind of pan-European Wiccan, you know? Yeah, it's really like pagany, like the vibes are there. The vibes are there. And so actually, um, Stregaria, which we talk about later, does kind of dive into very like Wicca-y places with it as well. 
and sort of makes this connection to like the religion of the land that even predates the Roman religion, which famously was modeled after the Greek official state religion. Um, yeah, modeled after is a very generous way to put I, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but <laughs> okay, so when we're talking about Italian folk magic, though, people are going to think of Rome, is basically what I'm saying. And the issue here is that Rome was Rome, and the actual Roman Empire did stretch to cover most of what we call Europe and a lot of North Africa. So like what was Roman is not necessarily like what we would think of as what is Italian because what we think of as Italian is all the people that basically moved there or were already there like after the Roman Empire. So these are like people who are descended from the Goths. These are people who are descended from people from North Africa. These are like a very wide array of people that end up being what are now Italians. It's uh, it's really fun to think about Goths as a people because I know that it is a type of like, I know that it's a region, but I also just imagine a bunch of like 80s, like black leather wearing Goths as it, a it, culture. Yes, it, that and that's exactly, you know, and they do that, they do that dancing under the bridge. Yes. Whatever, whatever that is. It's a lot exactly. of this. It's a lot of this motion. It's a lot of like weird hand stuff. Yeah, it's a lot of hand stuff. Um, it said every middle schooler. Anyway, continue. Sorry. But okay, another great thing to bring up here, though, is that Italian unification didn't happen until 1860, which is 160 years ago, which means there are literally trains that are older than Italy. Um, and for for what that's worth, like. Before that, Italy was an unconfederated collection of papal states. And we're going to talk about the papal states here in a minute. Um, independent duchies. Ooh, fancy. Mm, duchies. And mm. um, Borgia puppet states, because the Borgias were very, very big in northern Italy. Um, lots, yeah. to, you know, lots, lots to do with the Renaissance and all of that as well. The, the age of enlightenment even. Yeah. This um, is like, I feel like this is a really good reminder for people because it's like Italy wasn't you like unified until after the United States had existed for like almost 50 years. Right. And it, <sighs> you know, the way the, the maps were sort of drawn and the way the treaty process works out a lot of places that are Italy could have easily been Switzerland. Um, could have easily, easily, easily been Germany or France. Um, and easily, easily could have been their own places because there was no, like, unified Italian language. Yeah, it's almost like borders are made up or something. It's it, Truly, borders are made up. And, like, really, ultimately, Italy is made up, is what I'm kind of saying. Yeah. Uh, kind of sounds but, like they were just like, a boot seems fun. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it's like, we'll just draw the line at the top of the boot, and then that's... That's Italy. And then that's it. That's Italy. <laughs> that's it looks Italy. like a shoe. <laughs> great, great job, you guys. Um, but no, so really, there's not a consensus about what is Italian. Even, you know, like, the, but here's the thing. It's like, when they were trying to go all fascist, there was a lot of research done into, like, finding this, like, unified Italian culture and actually, that's kind of what skews a lot of the research into this topic, because, I mean, if you look at Adolf Hitler, like, co-opting folklore is a very, very successful 
tactic of fascism. Oh yeah. I'm and one of these days, Nick, for a bonus episode, we're gonna have to do like some talk about how theosophy and people like Madame Blavatsky, who people in like the occult circles love to kind of like gloss over the more problematic sides of, basically directly led to Nazism. So We'll yeah, discuss. That's, I'm like, yeah, that's a bonus episode, that's right? A good, that's a good bonus episode. That's a good bonus episode. But um, but ultimately, uh, we have very different lifestyles. We have different languages. We have different political and social systems, uh, different levels of urbanization and culture. So whereas in the North, in places like Naples, in places like Florence, you have the Renaissance, if you will, um, which is a, a big deal if you've never heard of it. Like people really to this day are still talking about it even. Yeah, people are obsessed with it. Give it a Google. It's like fascinating. <laughs> um, but then you had sort of all of these papal states as well, where which is really where, you know, it's like friend of a friend is the Lord and it's a bunch of like peasants like it's, it's like agricultural peasantry which was i mean very very widespread in the rest of europe as well but i mean you know the papal states it's that plus like a pretty you're sort of forwarding the aims of the church in so much as you can as a papal state so your political hierarchy does is is bishops and shit you know it's like it's, I mean, it's like a, these are religious backwaters. These yeah. are. It's like your entire structure politically is based on different types of hats. It's true. It's true. But, uh, but also, you know, like these are people as well who it's like the peasant, I mean, officially the Catholic church is in charge, but like the peasants don't, I mean, they probably have to go to church on Sunday, but they also uh, yeah, are not, you know, like a big, a huge concern. Like they're pretty much considered converted and they're free to do their own spiritual thing. Yeah, no one's like raiding their closets at this point in history to make sure they don't have like a pagan thing hidden somewhere. Right, right, right. Um, but they're, But speaking of the papal states though, you know, we do also have to take into account that, like, anything that reeks of paganism to the Catholic Church, which is in charge. So it's like a lot of times they would sort of hide their pagan history, like these little towns and these little regions that kind of get absorbed by the Catholic Church are sort of like, oops. Just sweep that under the rug yeah absolutely sweep that under the rug um, it's, it's also i feel like things like this historically are such a good reminder of like the wealthy elite just like don't consider the mass of population at all they just like don't think about people like peasants as being of a concern <laughs> right 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 but you know it's like if, if you're if you're you know sort of waging this war for like the hearts and minds of the whole world it's like you know you'd think you'd take the peasants into account but but no so it's, but there's also this like destroying your own history um or how you know the catholic church destroying your history which is actually really terrible uh and happens and i'm sure i'm sure oh my god like the vaults at the vatican have so many like juicy 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 pagan secrets about everyone oh my god i'm like 
that's where we actually have druid history. It's oh, hidden I, in the fucking papal vaults. It's in the papal vaults. It's in the papal vaults. Plot twist, they wrote everything down. The Pope has it. The Pope uh, has it. The, po- <laughs> the, the Pope is actually a druid. Oh my God. That's why he wears all white when all the other priests wear black. Okay, but like, I want to watch this TV show. Oh my God. No, no, this would be a good TV show. Like the Pope <laughs> is secretly a druid. Anyway. Anywho, um, but no, so actually they do look down their noses at anything that reeks of paganism. They hide it away. They destroy the evidence. Um, And so like the places where the folklore and history survived are kind of these more rural places. Um, Like basically they didn't give a fuck. Um, And, you know, it's like, these are people who work with the land too. So like they have this lifestyle that suited I think to an earthier spirituality, like they are more connected to the land. They're like dealing, you know, they're like shepherds and farmers and yeah, shit. Yeah, it's like literally every day they're hanging with nature. And to me, I'm like, if you live that kind of life, like these sort of like grand halls and like the showmanship of like a Catholic mass, like probably are not going to do much for you. No, because you're like, what on, like, this is weird. This is weird shit. Um, and it's it's also, I think, interesting to note that even out of Abrahamic religions, like Christianity in particular, for some reason, just completely divorced itself from natural cycles. Like so many Jewish holidays are based on lunar cycles and like right, right, the right. sun's position and lunar cycles are important in Islam. So it's like, but then Christianity is just like, we're not part of Earth. But, for, but then for some reason, Easter is based on when the moon cycle is. Yeah. For some reason. For, for some reason. Well, we don't <laughs> want to talk about that. That's that secret's in the Pope's closet. Uh, that's uh, that's also in the, the papal vaults. Yeah. <laughs> so, but basically what I'm saying is everything of actual importance to like Italian magical history is probably in the papal vaults. Um, and then what survives is like the rural traditions. So like, that's kind of what I'm going to be talking about. Um, but the, but just to kind of like pump a pen in this, like these are people with real life issues and instead of like praying about it, you know, like they're being proactive even, um, and also kind of like leaning into this like local culture of like, you know, what happens behind closed doors is nobody else's business. Um, I'm a quick aside here for some etymology, like strega. Um, which is taken from the Latin straxi, uh, which means screeching owl, uh, was not the vernacular term for which, unless it was derogatory. So you would call the local healer or sorcerer like a magi or a maja, or there's various other words that mean like healer. There's one that means like singer, which I thought was really nice. Um, I love that. It makes me think of like bards in like MMOs. Yeah, really yeah, fun. yeah. Um, but basically, they would only call you a strega if you were like suspected of doing black magic, or 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 if you like really fucked something up. Yeah, so um, you don't want to be called a strega. You do not want to be a strega. But we're going to talk about uh, stregeria later on. But uh, for now, we're sort of painting with broad strokes about like the foundation of Italian folk magic, and so these um, local magi would turn. Or, or would like l- learn basically from an oral tradition. And this is often like a hereditary thing. And there are rules about who can receive the information. And so um, it's either the 
oldest child of yours of the opposite sex from you, and there could be male and female, of course, um, or the youngest daughter. The youngest daughter could could also be the person that learns. But then once you have completed teaching someone else the it's it, the Italian folk magic, all you know, all of your um formulas for different healing things, amulets, all of the different incantations, all of the different stories, once you have completely like transmitted your knowledge, you would then stop practicing altogether. That's intense. Which is, yeah, really intense. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very much like hereditary. Um, and then there is sort of this legend as well that some of the like Magi would have these books that contained all knowledge, like, you know, basically like a book of shadows, but then also there's absolutely this other legend that basically says that uh, if you were a magic practitioner, you would not let anyone else know what the incantations are because like knowing the incantation is what gives it its gives it its power because a magician never reveals their secrets exactly exactly (laughs) um thank you job you're Um, welcome (laughs) tricks are something a whore does for money um um, but so but the but the living tradition is an oral one and they do place a lot of importance on the fact that you can only learn this as an oral tradition you have to memorize it and then once the next person memorizes it, like you have to stop using it. Can I just say that's so much pressure? It's a lot like, of pressure. It's a lot Jesus of pressure. Christ. God forbid you like God forbid you get a bonk on the head and like forget some of it. It's just like, oh, there right. goes your entire family's like lineage and magical history. Right, right, right. God forbid you fucking put something on a post-it. Um but they did do a a, a fair amount of herbalism so a lot of the traditional folk remedies in italian like herbalism are uh, olive oil based if you can believe um but they do use a lot of rue uh they use a lot of mallow as well Mm. love both of those i do have rue growing still by my like front door i'll post a picture at some point um but then you also do see things that modern witches will be more familiar with in like the sort of herbal lexicon um, like garlic for you know and salt even uh, salt is gonna come up for the next topic as well the evil eye but we're not talking about that yet we're not talking about that yet but no um a lot of the herbal remedies though olive oil based which i mean makes sense oh my god yes sign me Make, up makes sense if we're talking about um italian folk magic but um but yeah lots of rue lots of mallow a lot of garlic a lot of um protective amulets though is the thing so a lot of the herbal formulas were uh for protective amulets not like salves and you know healing balms and that kind of thing um although one you know like a random rabbity side hole is one thing i do think is cool about like modern italian culture is that they drink a lot of like aperitifs and digestives and stuff which are like herby wine potions uh yeah it's a, so, like it's so good for your digestion and it's and it's nice i mean it's like honestly like and you, it tastes good once you once you kind of get the taste for it i'm like 
sign like literally sign me up but you know it's it's easy on the tummy um but no I, basically what i'm saying is like herbs do play a big role in the culture today yeah. like um but kind of back to it back to it the evil eye is a big part of what these like local magicians and sorcerers would spend a lot of their time with stuff relating to the evil eye so if you don't know what the evil eye is we actually uh we do get to talk about the evil eye today and not just as like making fun of people on tiktok for all of the truly truly ridiculous amount of like evil eye jewelry like can i just say there's literally at the grove there's a little like you know the little stands that they have with the little shops there's literally an entire stand dedicated to like evil eye amulets um, which feels excessive to me yeah i mean especially like in america like yeah at the fucking grove in los at angeles the grove in los angeles no but really though like the evil eye does sort of date back to like greece and like perhaps the sixth century it may be based on an older tradition as well but basically the idea is that if you look at someone with bad intent you like place the curse of the evil eye on them and there's like so many different ways to get rid of it but like italy really was like we believe in this and yeah because you have to like when you think about the way the evil eye mythology started you have to think about the way people used to think vision worked and they thought that you literally sent little like beams out of your eyes that went out and that's how you saw things so it would make sense that if someone's looking at you mean and they're shooting their little like vision beams at you right 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 gonna get up in you uh but no it's a it's a cottage industry in italy like amulets for the evil eye um so obviously like the eye jewelry comes to mind but it's also, it's a lot of phallic shapes, which they do kind of see as like a holdover from like Roman, right? Because Rome would have like a mosaic of a phallus in like the public square. No know? one like loved they, dicks like Rome. No one loved dicks like Rome. Um, but so they would t basically like take coral, like a popular amulet for the evil eye as a piece of coral with multiple branches. And one of them, might even be carved into just a dick shape uh but sometimes they would use things like keys or um like swords or like arrows to be like um representative of dicks god um, who knew the dick was so powerful against the evil eye and then also like they have this amulet that they make that's supposed to look kind of like a bullhorn but when it's really really tiny it kind of looks like a chili pepper um cute which is yeah it's like that shape though it's that shape yeah um and that's also you know it's is it a dick is it a chili pepper is it a bullhorn um why not valid. all of the above oh why not all of the above um which kind of brings me around to why i was even interested in doing this segment though uh so like a lot of the traditional italian folk magic is like these kind of superstitions like what or what what a lot of people would see is just like folk superstitions um yeah it's like you hold your breath when you're driving over a bridge you lift up your feet when you're driving past a cemetery like that right, type right, of right. thing yeah um so for instance, 
like spearheads, like Paleolithic, Neolithic spearheads that you would find kind of in the dirt from when some cave guy was killing a deer 10,000 years ago. Um, Sub cave guy. Sub cave guy. You know, so, but so basically like little spearheads, they think is what happens when lightning strikes the ground. So, so, um, or at least that's what, that's what they thought. That's what they thought. And then, but, but that carrying it would protect you from a stroke. Um, and then there's like using things like rue and garlic to make protective amulets for children. A lot of it is based on children, like protecting babies because the whole like culture there is that witches want to eat babies well i mean if they weren't so juicy and delicious exactly exactly um but you know it's like uh, modern witches will recognize the ingredients of the things they're using um but then okay but then there's tarantella uh which is a dance meant to cure tarantism and you're probably thinking, this sounds a lot like tarantula. And yeah, exactly. So the original word for tarantula actually was like um, the Sicilian wolf spider. Um, oh my God. I Wolf spiders, like Texas wolf spiders, they scare me because they jump. They do. They do. I'm just um, saying. They fucking but, jump. But basically, it just meant big fucking spider. But now we think of it as like a specific species of spider um, because they use Latin for everything. But basically, it was their big ass spider, but it wasn't a proper tarantula. But also, okay, so here's the thing too. There was this belief that basically revolves around if you died and you were a really, really bad person, um, you couldn't even like go to any of the afterlives and you would just become a wasp or a spider. Wow. Man, there are a lot of really shitty souls around my apartment, if that's real. Um, we got a I, lot of spiders. It's. A, it, I mean, you know, and I'm like, I believe it. That's that I 100%, I thought about it. I think that's what happens. Um, I love spiders though. I like, I love spiders. I respect spiders just enough to stay away from them for the most part. No, I mean, but... I, I don't mind spiders. I mean, you remember my patio spider, but yeah, um, I am kind of scared of like how they walk. Um, so like, I could really, see that. So like, really, like the ones that like live on the ground. No, I'm sorry. Like, no. Um, just like the way they walk is creepy. Like, if you're in a web, it's kind of fine. Cause you're like out of, you're like out of my way. I'm hopefully out of your way. And um, we can just both be out of each other's way. But when you're on the ground, I'm also on the ground. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to share that space with you. <laughs> and Spiders. And it's probably like a shitty soul anyway. So I yeah, guess you're could, very it, justified. Yeah, true. But no wasps. I mean, you know, like oh, I think fuck I, wasps. I think we throw mosquitoes in there, and that's like a pretty good trifecta of what happens when you've sinned too much. Um. <laughs> okay. No. 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 But basically, so if you got stung by a spider or a wasp, um, then you were now possessed by 
the evil soul of the dead person. Oh no, that's so easy for that to happen. That's so easy for that to happen. <gasps> and so, and so listen, listen, listen. Um, once you get stung, you then have to dance until you pass out. Which hmm. is how, which is how you exercise the spirit. You ex your... you jazzercise it right out of you, man. Yeah, you jazzercise <laughs> the spirit right out of you. Um, but it's not a one and done cure. No, you dance until you passed out. You think, gosh, that must be it. That's a lot of work. Seems so, fair. No, now you have to do it every year at the Festival of St. John in June. Um, and and you have Tarantism forever, which is a social pariah. And I'm I'm gonna say I bet there are a lot of fucking people just like covering up that wasp sting. Mm -hmm. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah. I would imagine uh, that maybe that would be something uh, that you would ask your discreet uh, witchy friend to help you with, even perhaps. Yeah, just be like, look, we're, I don't want to make this a thing, mostly because I don't have time to do this dance every June until the day I die. Uh, hook a girl up peace right um but so we have so we have that um we have you know sort of some of the some of the little superstitions um but i also wanted to look at what italian folk magic might have been outside of the very narrow official narrative um and i think it's important to look a bit at the folklore of witchcraft in Italy, which means I get to tell the story of the witches of Benevento. Um, they sound so fucking cool. And they are really cool. Um, so the legend though has it that the invading Lombard rulers of the region of Benevento, which is supposedly about a mile north of Milan, I have not been. Um, so these invading Lombard rulers were involved in a surviving cult uh, with both Dianic witchcraft practices and Egyptian Isis elements as well. Um, so from this period, we get these legends that the ancient walnut tree in Benevento was a gathering place for witches from far and wide, and that they would perform these orgiastic dances and commune with Satan uh, under this walnut tree. Um, and some interesting notes from these are lots and lots and lots of references to this magical flying ointment. So like anytime there's a story about one of the witches of Benevento, um, you hear about them, you know, rubbing this ointment on their bodies to fly away. And like actually a lot of anthropologists think it was probably some kind of hallucinogen, you know, like- Yeah, they yeah, we've- We've talked about flying, like flying ointments a lot. Uh, go back to literally our very first QWP. Absolutely, I think. absolutely. Don't DIY one. Um. So, so the, a lot of a lot of flying ointments. Um, but I think it's also noted several times that a lot of the witches did not arrive on brooms, but on flying goats, which is so much more dope than a broom. Which is actually really cool. And I can only imagine like a cool, like a black goat with horns. Oh my God. Like the, the goat from the end of the bitch, which I know oh, is which, um, but. Oh my God. Yeah. The one, for, like the one from the bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? Um, yeah. I think that's definitely, definitely the vibe of the flying goats. Love. Um, 
But so others though, other other witches of Benevento took the form of birds of prey and that then they would go out and fly and um, get unprotected babies so they could sacrifice them to Satan. Well, I mean, uh, we're going to talk about how much witches allegedly love Satan in the parsley section too, so. Um, and then you have this legend that says that the original Lombard dukes who had upheld this tradition of, you know, this even like keeping this sacred walnut tree that was like witch party central um had to cave to the pressure of like this local monk who's like saint so-and-so i'm not even putting his fucking name in here i think he's lame um but anywho he like prays the byzantine invaders away and um so then he becomes the bishop or whatever and then he chops down the walnut tree and builds a church there and becomes a saint because he drove the witchcraft out of um benevento and oh also they were like worshiping a golden snake with two heads as part of their like isis cult and they melted that down and made a communion chalice so like whoopty fucking oh my do god i'm so so upset so yeah, like he kind of ruined the whole thing. What this, a like, fuckhead. Like Saint Benedetto or whatever. Like whatever the fuck his name is. Like I really truly don't care. Um But no. So the connection between Benevento and witchcraft did outlive the walnut tree. And these legends take hold of, of like this old broken beggar woman with like one shoe and she makes like a clip clop sound when she walks through and she lives in like the medieval quarter of town where like the old Lombard castle is and she's uh, sort of a beggar but she'll like curse you if you don't give her money right kind of like the witch from Beauty and the Beast uh, sure um no but do you at the beginning of the entire movie that's how the beast and everybody gets cursed is because a beggar comes and he won't oh, help her right right so right. she turns the prince into a beast and all of his like if for Servants some reason she said fuck the rest of the people that work for you i'm like i wonder if that's rooted somehow in this like folklore story but so she's anyway, but she sorry. but so she will curse she will curse you if you do not show her charity and she clip clops she clip clops because she's only got one shoe um and then okay and then there's the the long-armed witch which is like actually really spooky and she hides in wells and like snatches you down with the long arms oh no that is scary that's scary okay do you remember okay there was like this hysteria a few years ago about this like made-up character that was supposedly like talking to kids on the internet and they they had oh, used this like they used this like very very creepy japanese doll as like the profile picture yeah and I think that's what I think that's what she looks like. You're right. That must I, be. It's so scary though. I hate the idea of like giant long arms coming up out of a well for you. Like And then dragging you down. No! Dragging you down into the well. Oh and my you God. can't and you can't see what's down at the bottom. Like you just see the arms. 
Oh, I just got chills. I hate that. I'm and I bet, so... and I bet, like really long fingers too, because long fingers are creepy. Long fingers are creepy, even if they're hot dogs. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, movie, movie spoilers. Movie spoilers. I don't know that that's a spoiler. Uh, okay, it wasn't. It was in the trailer. It yeah. was in the trailer, and actually that part made me cry like when they kind of like get to the end of that whole like bit of the story like wow um this is good radio this is good radio (laughs) okay 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 so and of course like the legends do get crazier and more intense with the rise of witch hunts and forced confessions so then a lot of like women who are accused of witchcraft in the region uh, start claiming to be part of like the witches of Benevento and like talk about you know this like walnut tree and like you know sort of this this older tradition um, and it kind of like blurs the line between history and folklore because there actually were Lombard dukes in the area for a very long time um, and they do talk I mean there's a there's a lot of walnut trees that could be you know the tree tree. or or like you know like an offspring of the tree an offspring of the tree no doubt um and and so really like and benevento is real benevento is not a made-up place honey it's you can go there it's north of milan apparently um so i mean was it real was it not real i mean they said it was real when they were getting burned for witchcraft but is that yeah, really is that really like good enough evidence? Yeah, it's like anybody people will tell you whatever you want to hear after a couple of hours of torture, like most people, unless they're professionally trained to do that. So But um, you know, speaking of forced confessions, I did also want to talk about the Benendanti who were persecuted during the Roman Inquisition as well, uh, as all the other accused witches but um so the benendanti claimed to be white witches who used their powers to promote fertility and protect against black magic only and so the men were said to ride to their meetings on cats and rabbits and other creatures but like literally it just says other creatures so so mostly cats and rabbits mostly cats and rabbits um oh but but what was cool though is that they would they would get together four days out of the year. They called them the Ember Days, which is very kind of you know like interesting sounding. Um, and they would like basically astral project, right? But um, they would get these fennel wands, like b- when before they would like astral project or whatever. And they would use like fennel fennel stem wands to like that's how they did their magic, which is like such an Italian wand, though. Yeah. Man, I love fennel, though. Mm. Yeah, I do love fennel, too. I put it in my uh, chicken soup. And Yum. It's so good as one of just as one of the veggies, you know? We're, we're recording during dinner time for me again because we're recording on a different night. So apologies for all the food detours. Oh, my God. Food detours. Um, I mean, it is a, it is an Italian episode. So I think it's OK to talk a little bit about it's OK to talk a little bit about food. But um, but it's a very Italian one choice. <laughs> and so the the women Benendanti um were sort of seen as intermediaries with the ancestor spirits and helped like connect the living and the dead on these days as well so you know sort of like uh, like a little four times yearly mini day of the dead vibes um, that's so fun it's like little festivals i appreciate that 
I do too. I do too. But um, so the Benedanti saw themselves as like doing this work though on behalf of angels, like biblical angels. And they really didn't see any dissonance at all between their magical practice and their Catholic faith. The Catholic Church, of course, saw things differently and murdered most of the Benedanti as heretics. Um, uh, yeah. Wow. Which I think is a good place to leave off on what folk Italian magic was. Okay. And of course, in the meantime, we had unification. We had two world wars, and all the while, Italy is trying to forge a unified cultural identity, which leads to this sort of survivalist belief where everything is connected back to Dianic Wiccanism, or not Dianic Wiccanism, Dianic witchcraft and like Isis worship and even like Artemisian cults, which is, you know, they really, really, really want. Yeah. Wands and Franz is an Artemisian cult, though. No, it really is. But it's like they really, really try to like link them into this yeah. like un. It's okay if it's like a broken continuum. Yeah, you can pick like, the thread up at a different time. Like your ancestors don't have to have every generation practiced a certain way. It's fine. But they do. They try to, like, make this, like, unbroken connection yeah. back to antiquity and forge this, like, unified Italian identity, um, which erases a lot of the diversity of the region. So, whereas before, we are, are sort of erasing information for on religious grounds because, the you know, a lot of the country is controlled by the Catholic Church, and then we have this sort of unified Italy, which is also kind of destroying information that goes against this new narrative of like there being sort of one unified Italian culture. Um, and destroying information is never good. Yeah. Um, if you're burning books, you're on the wrong side of things. Right. Um, History's never once looked back and been like, that was a good move. Destroying right, the library. Right, right. Yeah, burning down the library. Great job. Um, but that eventually leads us to like the 1980s. And then we have in 1980 with a zero, um, a guy called Raven Grimassi, which is a uh, nom de plume. And this is the American raised child of a Neapolitan immigrant who sort of codified and laid out a foundation for Stregaria which, you know, also known um, as sort of the old religion, sort of this connection to Dianic witchcraft and Artemisian cults is like very, very much there. Um, but they're, I, the claims are tenuous. The claims are tenuous of this, un, you know, it's sort of like what the modern mystery school does where they're like an uh, sort of, for some reason, some people feel there's so much power in this like oh unbroken like we can trace it all the way back to like this very ancient point in time and it's like that's that's cool if you can actually do that like uh, there's a lot of practices where you can actually do that but sometimes sometimes there's just not that. Sometimes the chain breaks and it's okay. I mean, I think especially as Americans, we're probably much more comfortable with that than some people um, because none of us that are white people are from here. 
true (laughs) very initially um but yeah it's it is a very like human thing though but even here it's like you've got like the daughters of the american revolution it's like everyone always wants to have this like this story of their lineage and like it makes sense but also god just get over it it's fine like right 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 so but i think sort of what he did though which i think he did with as much care as he could put into doing this yeah um sort of like did what had already been done for like celtic paganism and norse paganism yeah um and sort of like codified this italian folk practice um into something that would be digestible to someone who didn't know about it um and also you know this sort of revival this sort of restoration which also has gone on with like the Slavic pantheon and very very much has gone on with Wicca oh because I mean you know like it's I mean that's really truly the story of Wicca and like really it doesn't get interesting until the 1960s which is fine which is absolutely fine but yeah you know it's like we we do have to like accept that these are sort of restorations these are um yeah we're unfortunately as fun as it is to like post memes about it we're not the daughters of witches they couldn't burn because most people that were burned weren't witches they were right and that's okay it's okay that's okay like it's okay that's fine it's it's okay you are magical on your own you don't need to have like a family history of it to prove your worth Right, right, right. And actually, that's not the part that that people take issue with. It's just sort of, um, yeah, again, this unbroken lineage going back to like pre-Roman Italy is just a little bit tenuous. I feel like it's, yeah, it's just all of the different magical traditions. Anytime anyone, I feel like in the pagan world tries to like say that their practice is that, I'm like, it's it's not in the pagan realm of things today. And that's okay. Like, it's fine. But I would say in in the case of um, Stregoria, there's a lot of um, good and old enough traditions memorialized there and sort of taken all together there. And, um, you know, I, I think it's a classic Italian vibe even. It centers a lot around babies. It centers a lot around love. It centers a lot around, like... A healthy amount of vanity even which you know and like ultimately I don't see it as problematic you know like if this is problematic then Wick is problematic and you know it's like I think it does provide this kind of touchstone for people who are part of this sort of large Italian diaspora and even though it's a little problematic to try to sum up something as complicated as Italy into one tradition. You know, it does take steps to just like put it all in one place. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, There is something to be said for having it all in one place. Like we've almost every modern practicing like pagan or witch is just practicing with things that have been put together from a variety of places. Like, exactly. So, you know, that's part of the fun, I think. It's it's truly, truly. And it's like no harm, no foul. And like there is a lot of good information in there about sort of like what Italian witchcraft is and like why it would be different from a lot of the other witchcraft traditions of Europe. But like, you know, you do also have to think like Italy is the size of like California. And yeah. so even though it's not huge, huge, huge for a country, it's, you know, it's it's not uh 
um it's not monolithic like it's by not, any stretch. it's not monolithic by any stretch so if you were looking at strigaria well i mean we obviously have like a neapolitan flavor but then also it traces back to sicily for some reason so it's like we can can we even call that like italian i mean so, a, a lot of Italians feel like Sicily is not very Italian. Yeah, like Sicilians have an opinion. Like, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think it's like Italy is very interesting in that because it is, it is both like tiny, but also like so incredibly diverse and like so many cultures that had like very strong identities in in and of themselves. You you know you know what it is. I I mean famously there's always a lot of different kingdoms and stuff where there's mountains and like big bigger places always tend to form on on the plains you know yeah and it's like it'll look at Italy it's uh it's literally like a very mountainous country but also like is surrounded by water so it's like you you have all these little pocket communities and all these little places that are like kind of separated from each other by like more than just culture they're physically separated from each other yeah that's very interesting i italy is one of the areas like in europe that i know the least about so i'm really because my personal lineage is like very like germanic and like Celtic. very very much like geographically not that part of Europe yeah yeah and so it's like especially for my practice I I just haven't really looked into it at all so I'm I feel like I learned a lot today I well I you know I hope so I feel like I had a lot of ground to cover so um but yeah that's um that's that's Italy that's it that's, that's all anyone would ever have to say <laughs> about Italy Oh, duh. We just like covered it all in what, like an hour. Yep. Um, well, before we get into my section, because we're actually like at the halfway point now, um, Nick, if someone wanted to get in touch with us, how could they do that? Well, I think the easiest way would be to hit us up on Instagram at ones and fronts pod uh, on Instagram. Um, but also you could send us an email at onesandfrontspod at gmail.com. I don't know if you noticed, but those are the same tag both times. And, you know, if you really, 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 really just like loved us so much, you could go on patreon.com slash onesandfrontspod. Wow. Oh my God. It's so easy to remember because it's all onesandfrontspod. Um, but yeah, you could like, you know, hook us up with hosting our podcast on the internet which does cost money and also um buying me more hair bleach which absolutely I, th- I think it's funny though actually just as a random side note that shannon has dark hair right now and i do and i have light hair right now so we're doing a bit of a role reversal but um also hey if you join the patreon you can actually see our hair and our smiling faces and our cute outfits you can see that i'm in my bedroom today because we're trying to get back to see if i can make that work with the internet so hey so hey and then also if you if you were like i enjoy this podcast but i don't really love it and i'm not gonna fucking talk to you 
but you still wanted to show us some support, you could just, you know, give us five stars. Like, that'd be fun. Yeah. We love stars. We got no rubies, so we'll take stars. We'll take stars. <laughs> you can do it on Spotify. Uh, if you're on Apple and you use, like, Apple... Um, it's like Apple Music or iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. However you're listening to us on an iPhone or a MacBook, you can also write a review. And that helps a lot. And we have put together in the past some possible scripts for you guys. For example, this podcast is good. Yeah, this. I think if someone comments this podcast is good... I will give you, I will reach out to you and um, give you a free tarot reading, so. Oh my God, I love that offer. Well, okay guys, now that we have gotten through all of the business, <laughs> I'm really excited to be talking about this today because like, I love highlighting how like magical plants and like herbs that we take for granted are. And like, when you think about an herb that is kind of underwhelming on the grand scheme of things. Parsley is kind of up there, mostly because it's always just like an ugly, like kind of sad looking garnish, right? Like parsley has not been given its fair due to shine. And I'm excited to, to do that today. So. I'm, I'm excited for you. And honestly, I'm excited for parsley. Like, big parsley is finally getting a win. Yeah, parsley has been the underdog for years now. But parsley, or petroselenum, is an ancient plant. And there's actually a lot of debate around, like, where it's actually originally from. So some people say the Mediterranean, or Algeria, or Lebanon, or Sardinia, etc., etc., but it's generally described as like native to Southern Europe or the Mediterranean. So those are big areas just as an FYI, but they're, they're giving that place parsley. But of course now it's like naturalized around the world, right? People cook it everywhere. The plant does thrive in rocky terrains and wastelands and it can grow up to a foot tall. So it's like, Parsley is one of those plants, too, that if you let it grow, like, against a wall or something, it can almost get, like, bush-like. Like, it can get very full. So if you've never tried growing parsley, which we'll talk about later, um, it, it can actually take up more space than you might think. So the, the leaves, of course, are where we get a lot of the herb from. It's, like, mildly aromatic, and they grow on hollow stalks. And so there's like one deep taproot that supports multiple stalks. And then they have all of those like pretty little leaves. The leaves are like deeply divided and vibrant green. Like it's very close to cilantro if you've never seen like flat leaf parsley. And of course there's like curly or flat depending on the variety. But I think everyone should know by now that flat leaf parsley is tastier. So if you didn't, now you know. Uh, the root of the parsley plant is cream colored and it looks very similar to parsnips and the flowers are like small and yellow and they produce like small ovoid seeds. But if you're trying to wild harvest, I like have to say parsley, like other members of the carrot family, can very easily be mistaken for hemlock. So uh, be careful because hemlock is not what you want in your stew. That'll kill you dead. Uh, <laughs> The Latin name, though, uh, 
So petroselenum, it translates to literally rock celery coming from like the ancient Greek. Rock lobster? Question. Rock lobster. Rock mm -hmm. celery is parsley. Um, so now I get to go on an etymological rabbit trail just because it's like very interesting to me that there have been so many different words in like this region used to describe both celery and parsley that when we look at historical documents now, there's kind of a lot of confusion sometimes about like whether someone's talking about parsley or celery. And it's it's like, this isn't a new problem. So our good friend and first century CE Greek botanist Dioscorides wrote that oreoselenon was used in diuretics, heating medicines and other antidotes, but he was very adamant that oreoselenon should be differentiated from petroselenon which grew on rocks. But if we go back like a few hundred years earlier than that, Greek botanist Theophrastus clearly identifies parsley as oreoselenon and even know the difference between curly and flat leaf parsley. So when, when historians and like herbalists interested in ancient herbal remedies are looking back on ancient Greek stuff, sometimes you might not be entirely sure if they're talking about celery or parsley, which feels like an important thing to be able to like differentiate. But anyway, we do know though that like when a source references selenon, it usually fits like our understanding of like how parsley was used historically. So it was used to crown athletes at like big gaming competitions but it was also placed on tombs. So in Greece, parsley was actually like so closely associated with death that it wasn't used in regular cooking for a long time. And this kind of comes from like the myth of um, Opheltes. I'm not sure how, how would you pronounce that, Nick? I think Opheltes, yeah. Opheltes, okay. So Opheltes, this is like the myth where the association with both athletes and death comes from, because like that's kind of a weird combination that I wouldn't necessarily put together. Um, but uh, Opheltes was the son of Lycurgus and Nemea, and as an infant was killed by a serpent's bite. And so when Ephelthus was, you know, killed, it obviously blood, lots of blood and everywhere it was like everywhere he was bleeding all over a bunch of parsley sprung up. So they have these like games, right? To, like honor Ophelthus's death. And so they decide that they're going to crown the people with parsley in honor of what grew where the kids blood spilled, which is very weird. Um, but the funeral games here in the story are also supposed to be like the origin story of the Nemean games. So, but I'm just like, if I was killed by something and it was like my blood made something weird happen, it would feel weird for that to like become the trophy at my funeral. Right, day. right, right. But like, maybe that's, I mean, anyway, so. <laughs> it seems a little disrespectful even. Yeah, yeah. So Opheltus was eventually though, like in this story at the end, he's like renamed um, Archer Morris, which means the forerunner of death. And I like that runner is in there too. Uh, they also though, in ancient Greece, believed that giant fields of parsley grew on the death island of Calypso, um, Ogygia. And there was also a colloquialism at the time, uh, deis tiselenon, or to need only parsley, which essentially means that like 
someone's got one foot in the grave like to need only parsley you're almost there and with all the connections to death right in this region it's probably not going to be a big surprise to y'all to learn that parsley is also very closely associated with hades and persephone so on ancient vases a lot of times you'll see these two like depicted with like branches of parsley either like holding them or like as like part of the decoration and in wicca there's still apparently a strong association between parsley and persephone i'm not a wiccan but that's what the internet told me um (laughs) there are also some really fun superstitions about parsley so here are a few highlights uh in germany it was said that if parsley won't grow in your garden someone in your house is gonna die soon that's not fun uh virgins were in many cultures instructed to not plant parsley because doing so could cause them to get impregnated by the devil himself satan beelzebub el diablo devil yeah if you're a virgin and you plant some parsley he's coming for your womb uh some also used to say that when parsley was planted, the seeds traveled back and forth between the place where it was planted and the devil uh, between seven and nine times, depending on the superstition. <laughs> and that's probably because the seeds take so fucking long to germinate, but we'll talk about that later. But I just like love the idea of a seed just being like, well, I'm going to be up here. I'm going to go party with the devil. I'm coming back. <laughs> it's like a seed doing that. I don't know a why. A seed is doing that. And then the devil's like, what up, seed? Yeah. I'm like, there's a lot of devil and death talk. The Romans uh, did seem to like eating parsley, even though they took a lot from the Greeks. Apparently they didn't take that much but apparently romans would also wear garlands of parsley to keep them from getting too drunk too fast at banquets oh that works i i do that all the time (laughs) there are a few poems by uh horace that paint a fun picture of this for us uh but there's also evidence that like proto-celtic people knew about parsley before the romans even showed up meanwhile in 16th century france It was believed that parsley gave power to any woman who touched it. It could break glass, but it was also associated with like virility in men. And there was an old adage that parsley helps a man mount his horse, but it helps a woman end up under the ground. So another sterling mark for patriarchy and the gender (laughs) binary here. And finally, since we just covered Jewish mysticism, like I'd be remiss if I didn't add that carpus, which is one of the six foods on the Seder plate at Passover, is often represented by parsley. And the herb is dipped in salt water and functions as a symbol of springtime, the prosperity of the Israelites in Egypt, slavery, and the code of Joseph. So parsley like got around. Like who knew parsley all over the place? So you want to grow it. I would say, first of all, are you really sure you want to grow it? Because if you fail here, it could be a death omen. Uh, but, you know, if you're feeling feeling brave, it's, it's really a great plant to have in your garden. It attracts swallowtail butterflies, which are super pretty. And you can also plant it near onions to deter the onion fly or near roses for green fly. And when it goes to flower, like the bees love it so it's a good one to plant near things like tomatoes or asparagus that like need pollination assistance and i read a great recommendation to leave some of the seed heads in place over winter for people they get like real winter and as things start to thaw chipmunks and birds will like forage the seeds those will be some of the first things they forage when they wake up from hibernation so it's like if you want to have your snow white moment 
parsley seed heads. Parsley and seed heads. It is a biennial. So you'll get sweet, flavorful leaves in year one. And then in year two is when it like sets seeds. But if you're going to do it from seeds, you're going to want to direct sow in March or April after the danger of frost has passed. Or you can plant your starts at this time. And you'll also want to plant seeds again in the late summer because that'll give you some plants that'll come up like early the following spring. So the germination, again, can, it can be spotty. So you're going to want to over sow if you're going from seed. And that's also why once it gets going, I'd suggest letting a few plants self seed every year just to like keep it growing. And again, the seeds are slow, slow, slow. They can actually take up to two months to start sprouting. And like, so maybe they are just like bouncing back and forth, like they're busy hanging out with the devil. They're, they're busy with the devil. Yeah, you can speed this process up by soaking them overnight before sowing. And if you have later frost in the spring, I think the way to go is like just to like sow them indoors, right? So it's because they take so long if you're not able to plant them until later into the summer, you're going to have like so little time that your parsley is going to actually be eatable for you in the growing season. So I definitely like sow inside for them. And if you're going to like grow them indoors, you want to make sure that they're getting plenty of like light and heat though. So it needs to be like on the top of your fridge or something. This isn't one that you're going to be able to just like, put in a container on your windowsill and leave it alone. Like they like to be a little warm anyway. So when you sow the seeds, plant them about a quarter of an inch deep, which is deeper than you would think for such small seeds, but it does need to be a quarter of an inch deep and keep the soil moist while you wait, you know, for it to finish playing with the devil to germinate. But they need like to be down that deep because they have a tap root. So almost always the rule with seeds is like, to only plant them as deep as the seed is big, but this is a big old exception. I also read this really great tip though, if you plant in rows to like plant radish seeds in the gaps between your like parsley seeds, because they'll sprout earlier and that'll help you like mark the gardening row while you like wait for the parsley to finish its devil parties. So plus radishes are really tasty. Like I love mm -hmm. radishes on a taco, yes. Parsley does best when it's planted in full sun with like rich, well-draining soil. You do want to incorporate like some organic matter into the soil uh, or the pot that they're in. Like this is a plant that for compared to other herbs, it's a little bit of a heavier feeder. And you do want to like keep them moist so you can mulch around the base of the plant over the summer. But again, make sure you're watering them sufficiently. And this is why like I'd almost just recommend planting parsley like with your veggies as opposed to planting it in like an herb box with other herbs just to like streamline your watering regimen. Like you can't water rosemary as often as you need to water parsley. So when the leaves, uh, when the leaven stems, that's a fun typo. Uh, when the stems have at least three segments, you can start to harvest them though. Uh, you're going to begin by cutting leaves from the outer stems and letting the inner portions mature and wait between like two or three weeks between like big harvest so it can regrow a bit because if you over harvest parsley like it it'll die it's not quite as hardy as things like rosemary where you can like cut it down to a nub and it'll be okay so like you know give it some recuperation time between big harvests and a hot tip 
once you harvest the herbs, like you can actually put the stalks in a cup of water in your fridge that, and that'll keep the parsley from wilting because parsley wilts like hella fast if you have the flat leaf version, but you can just like put those little stalks in some water and then you have nice, like crispier, crispier parsley. Yeah. You don't, you don't, you don't want soggy herbs no. on your, in your, in your food. No, it's never fun. Um, you can, of course, also dry it. I'm sure everyone has seen dried parsley. You just like cut the parsley at the base of the plant, hang it upside down in a well-ventilated, shady and warm part of your house. And then when it's fully dry, just like crumble it up and put it in a container. You can also dig the roots though in the fall of the plant's first year or in the spring of the second. When you dig the roots up, if you're gonna like save them, you wanna remove the leaves and then cut and dry them. But you can dig them fresh and wash them up and roast them. Like Martha Stewart has a really tasty like pars like roasted parsley parsley root recipe on her website. So, which I mean, you know, it's Martha. You know, it's good. Yeah. So let's talk about the medicinal uses of this humble herb. Disclaimer, disclaimer, guys. I'm not a doctor. This podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat anything. Please talk to your doctor before you start taking like medications or plants. Uh, Nick and I are not here to act as your doctors. So that's that's true. Absolutely not. We're just not. Uh, now, I have to also say up top with this one, really important. Uh, this plant should not be used in medicinal doses by pregnant people. It causes uterine contractions and parsley seed is even sometimes used as like a homemade abortifacient. So yeah, don't, don't pregnant people. So the historical herbal uses are kind of all over the place, which makes sense when you think about how widespread parsley is, but I'm just going to like list a few of the things that historically it's been used as. Uh, so an aphrodisiac as a treatment for dropsy for kidney and bladder stones. It's been used as a diuretic and it's also been used to generate seriousness of the mind or mm. just to freshen breath. So on the like thing with like kidneys and bladder stones though, like in rats, we've actually like seen in lab tests that parsley actually can help like regulate the pH of urine. And the way it, when it does that, it actually helps like keep the calcium oxalate crystals dispersed so that they can like be passed as opposed to like having them like come together to form very painful stones. So a lot of times you'll see parsley extracts in like alternative and complementary medicinal regimens to treat like renal disease. And Matthew Wood is a really well-known modern herbalist. He's like quoted a lot by Sage Popham, who I love, but he actually points to the doctrine of signatures here, which I, I love because the plant grows natively in rocky areas. So it can help treat stones in the body. I know we've talked about the doctrine of signatures a few times, so I just wanted to plug that. Um, parsley is carminative, so it is like a really great digestive aid. And if you're someone who gets an irritated gut when you eat too much garlic, because I know that it has a lot of FODMAPs and garlic can, you know, it's worth it, but it can hurt your stomach sometimes. Parsley might be a good like addition to your recipe to help kind of offset some of the irritation from the garlic because it is a carminative and it's um, really going to help with your digestion. They've also started doing some like scientific research on it and it points to it being a good like uh, aid for people that get digestive upset related to stress. So I was like, Virgos everywhere, rejoice, 
and eat parsley. Eat you some parsley, baby. It'll help. Uh, in Italy, they've even used parsley as an anal suppository for constipated kids and babies. Um, not my method of administration, but it's been done. And it's also used to um, to treat like a whole range of like other issues, including like indigestion and colic. So it's like got a lot of association with the gut, but it's also in both Eastern and Western herbal traditions, like commonly used in liver things as well. So Culpepper, who we've talked about, used parsley seed to treat people with jaundice. And in India, parsley decoctions are similarly used for liver problems. And it does have like a potent mixture of vitamins and minerals. So like the use of parsley and like tonics for the liver or even for the kidneys or bladder, like it's one of those that makes good sense for your overall health. It's just like also full of a lot of like really good vitamins and minerals. There has, like I said up top, it's like been used as an abortifacient as well, the seeds. So there is like a very long history of parsley also being used for menstrual issues because it helps bring on bleeding. So sometimes it's also used in a tea to help expel the afterbirth. And finally, I'm like, there's there's so much with parsley's medicinal uses. Um, it's also it's an antimicrobial so the way that it's been used historically sometimes to treat wounds is good parsley seed decoctions can be used to promote the healing of bruises um they've also been included in like formulas for eye washes to treat like various causes of eye discharge this the essential oil is great for treating fungal issues um they've done some studies that prove that parsley essential oil is often more effective than conventional antifungal medications so you can think about it for things like athlete's foot. Uh, parsley's high in polyphenols, so it's like a really strong anti-inflammatory. And it's really good for things like, uh, you'll you'll often see like parsley extracts and teas recommended for like gout, rheumatism, and arthritis. And then like very last on this like, honestly bite-sized piece of parsley's medicinal value, it's, uh, it's really <clears throat> like, there's been a lot of clinical trials that are actually showing that it specifically has an affinity for uh, slowing the spread of cancerous cells in breast cancer. So like very specifically in breast cancer, but there have been some like really promising studies on it. And I, it was also used in ancient times as a poultice for like hard breast tumors. So just like another nice reminder that our ancestors weren't totally ignorant and it's always fun to learn when there might be things that are helping with like cancer. So again, I could continue, but I have to stop at some point. So we're going to talk about magic. Um, parsley is, is associated with the air element, Persephone, lust magics, as well as like protection and purification. And parsley does have strong ties to witches. So you know, think about 16th century France and that hysteria around like people being able to like connect with the devil, like women in particular, uh, because apparently like fucking Satan is like a witch's favorite pastime. Oh, so I mean, I, I, I actually I think we need to go soon because I got horny go. for Satan. I gotta go. Uh, so. <laughs> um, but I just I like that it used to be so associated with like witches and like ill-behaved women so i'm like let's bring it back so of course first and foremost use it as an offering to persephone or hades uh but throw it on your altar with a pomegranate boom 
there's like a little Persephone altar. It does have like a strong association with death, but it has also been used for protection, which I know kind of might feel counterintuitive, but remember like the Romans used it to like ward off drunkenness and they'd also put sprigs of parsley on their food to protect it from poisoning or contamination. So, you know, in that sense, growing parsley on a windowsill could be like a great low effort way to add some protection magic to your house. But, you know, with that protection tie, I'm going to recommend that you use it as an ingredient in your doormat blend. Oh, my God. Parsley under the doormat. Right. That's exquisite. That's exquisite. Yeah. It's also been used a lot for, like, purification baths. So you could add, like, a few sprigs of fresh parsley to your tub if you were doing, like, a purification, like, ritual. Or I was thinking you could also, like, hang them bundled in your shower for, like, a magical cleansing shower. For people that don't, I, do, I do like with the like with the you know like you do with the eucalyptus. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And love and lust magics are also like a fun one here. That connection like most likely started in the Elizabethan era, but I do have to say, Simon and Garfunkel brought like the sexiness of parsley into the modern era with Scarborough Fair parsley sage rosemary and thyme uh some people actually think the message of these chosen herbs is a love spell so like why not use it that way so allegedly it's like thyme says i'm yours sage says i'm dependable rosemary says remember me parsley says let's start a family parsley's for fucking uh there is also like an old saying like so parsley so babes so i'm like Make a very tasty meal for the object of your affections using these herbs. Make it a sexy spell. Um, if you're trying to get with child, you could add it to a sleep sachet that helps per, uh, promote fertility. So, you know, getting all the drinks in today. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's that's where I'm going to leave it off because I've done a lot of talking. Parsley was much bigger than I thought. I feel like I've been like talking about parsley for a million years already. And so my sources were the herbarium, Wikipedia, nourishingdeath.wordpress.com, which was a fun one, gardenerspath.com, almanac.com, flyingthehedge.com, and Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs. Oh, classic Cunningham's. Classic, classic Always, always. Um, yeah, so parsley, guys, like, let's, let's make parsley cool and witchy again. Oh my god, yeah, let's let's um let's start a parsley cult. And also let's all get fennel wands. Let's start a parsley cult with fennel wands to it's gonna be an Artemisian cult. Feet, fennel wands, and parsley sprigs. Uh okay, so because we're like not doing a DD profile this week, which I think is a good call for everyone's sanity. For, the, for this for this hour and a half long episode already. Yeah, with just two topics. Can you imagine if we also were talking about a DD today? Um, but that means it's Terrascope time, y'all. So today I have a message for Libra. And I know it's not your season, but I know that Taurus is your like Venus ruled bosom buddy, and we just entered Taurus season. So, like, oh, thank God. I'm literally going to get so much food after this. Oh my God. I, yeah. Uh, Trader Joe's new frozen bulgogi fried rice. Mm. Yes, is a good thing. So, today, Venusian babes, I have drawn for you the reversed Ace of Wands. So, it tells me that you're like, feeling inspired and you maybe have some awesome creative energy and all these new ideas bubbling up, but like there's not an outlet to express it yet. It's like you have all of this energy, 
but not necessarily somewhere to direct it. It's like, this is a not now, maybe later moment for you, right? So timing is everything in life. And you of course wanna harness like this period of inspiration and energy to like set yourself up for long-term success. But something in the timing's like not there yet. So it's like whether you need to wait for other pieces to fall into place before you pursue the idea, or if you just need to like let some confidence build, you can't afford to like force something before it's time. So like enjoy your creative flow, love the ideas and energy for you, and like keep your eye out for a sign that lets you know when it's time to loose your arrow into the world. Oh, love that for them. I mean, yeah. my, my impatient Aries ass could never. Uh, I mean, we know. We love you for it. <laughs> um. Well, I guess that's the bitter end. And I have one question for you. Yeah? What do we say to all those Italian bitches who are absolutely horny for Satan and Parsley? Oh my God, you horny for Satan and Parsley sexy Italian bitches. We say blessed be bitches. Blessed be you Parsley soaked bitches. <laughs> Goodbye. I know. The flavor profile is described as like terpenes, tangerine juice, lime juice, aromatic bitters, and currant. And it tastes like fucking bubblegum. Like just <laughs> straight up bubblegum.